Welcome to the Music Business Podcast. Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends, tactics, and insights from some of the world's brightest minds in music. I'm Jordan Williams of EQT Management. And I'm Sam Heisel from Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Jordan. Samuel. What's up? I'm chilling, man. All right. Well, today we're switching things up a little bit. We want to try a new format that we're really excited about. I think there's a lot of things always happening in the industry. So uh, we've been paying attention. Obviously, Jordan and I have no shortage of opinions. So we <laughs> want to just talk about some things that we've been seeing, learning, different news, and really just dive in and give our perspective. So I uh, really appreciate you guys listening to the podcast and definitely want to get your feedback on how you enjoy this format. So once you listen to it, please be sure to hit us up on Instagram uh, at Music Business Podcast. We definitely appreciate your feedback. And if this is something you really like, then this is definitely something we're happy to do more of and can even start crowdsourcing some different topics and, and things yeah. you guys want us to talk about. So in today's episode, what we're going to dive into, um, one, obviously, the, uh, Taylor Swift uh, a couple weeks ago, there was this big debacle online about Scooter Braun purchasing her uh, masters, the, her back catalog, and Taylor, this was her worst nightmare because I guess she had uh, not the best opinion of Scooter Braun. So I think this ended up creating a lot of conversation around the ethics of masters ownership. Should artists own their own masters? So we're going to dive into that, talk about being independent versus being a label, what to focus on for early artists. What are some things we're seeing just from a artist development standpoint or, or building audiences? Um, things that we're seeing work well in that regard. We're going to kind of dive deep into Old Town Road, love it or hate it. I mean, I, <laughs> I used to love it right when that song was coming up. I was, I was on repeat. Now you heard it too and, much. And now, yeah, I <laughs> want nothing to much. do with it, but I still have nothing but respect for Lil Nas X. And then lastly, just want to close this out with some of our favorite resources for industry news. I think... Uh, where we're staying up to date, I think there's a lot of really interesting places where just different newsletters that we want to tell you guys about. So you got to wait till the end for that one, though. Yeah. Okay, so let's jump into the first one, man. I think ethics of master's ownership. Um, do you think that, and I think there's a lot of ways to pick apart this question in this topic, but do you think artists should own their master's? I think artists should do whatever makes sense for them. So when I say that, I mean, I never really liked getting into the discussion of artists should always stay independent or artists should always sign to a label. I think everything is a value exchange. Um, I do think we live in a little bit of a different time now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the 90s and the 80s, I think you saw a lot of situations. Um, one that comes to mind is like TLC, right? TLC was a very famous group. They still are a very famous group, but there's an entire documentary about pretty much how their label treated them and how they barely got any royalties on their masters and how they didn't own anything. And, you know, growing up, I saw that when I was young, you know, I'm only 25 years old. So late nineties, it was like, I was 10, 11 years old. Luckily my dad worked in the music industry. So, or he was a musician himself. So he, he kept me, he kept me abreast of all the things that happened like that. But now, you know, artists, I think generally are, are in much more control. So, you know, when they see, when they see a, a deal that doesn't make sense to them, um, they don't necessarily have to take it anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that necessarily draws the line, though, between should an artist sign away their masters or not. Mm -hmm. I think it all depends on the value exchange between the label and between the artists and how and how true of a partnership it is. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I think it's uh, I mean, joint ownership of masters um, 
And you're essentially giving a vested interest to an entity or a label that has the power to really help um, develop your career a lot. I mean, I, I do think like a lot of times when labels are getting like the vast majority of ownership of, of the masters, like my gut instinct is that doesn't necessarily feel as fair. I mean, I think the artists are creating their own art, but I, I think as long, I mean, if it's ideally closer to an even split or maybe if artists have the majority, I think that to me seems largely like the ideal, but I think per your point, like whatever deal makes the most sense for the artist, I think if, if you're going to get a very, um, a lot of resources, a lot of support from a label, then I think it's really valuable for you to um, be willing to kind of give up a little equity in order to grow, grow the, the pie as a whole. Right. I think when you see a deal like that, when a label owns, you know, a majority of the master, you just have to ask what the value is you're getting back, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So when it comes to being going independent versus a, a label, like do you where do you stand on that spectrum? Like for an emerging artist, should they be chasing around a label, or do you think they should just focus on being independent? Well, what do you think? I think that create your leverage so that when you are ready to have a conversation with a label, then you are able to get much better terms. I think uh, if you're an emerging artist and you don't really have a fan base. Um, you don't have a lot of traction or validation around the, the brand and audience that you're creating, then I think when um, then your stock price is just isn't as high. There's not as, uh, as much data to support it. So therefore, uh, labels who are essentially like banks and banks, whenever they're giving out a loan, which is largely what labels do, they, they want to kind of measure the risk on the investment they're making. So if you're a riskier investment, there's going to be higher interest. The same concept applies to music. I think if you are a very early artist, you're going to essentially be getting more interest on your loan, which, which kind of essentially just breaks down to a less favorable deal because they're going to want to make sure they have a bigger stake in your earnings. I think it also depends, though, on the product itself. You know, there I've, I hear of plenty of artists that get, you know, four, $5 million advances and they haven't released a song yet and they're getting, you know, treated well by their label because the music is just so crazy. Yeah. It's just that good. So at the same time, yeah, part of it is a, is a loan to help you get on your feet. Um, but there's also a product involved. It's not necessarily just giving a loan to this person. It's like mm -hmm. we are helping you define and refine this product. So if you right. bring to me something that is already razor sharp, and you and we already truly believe in it. You know, sometimes you can get that leverage before you even walk into the door. Yeah. I mean, I've I've heard of literal, literal, you know, I've seen them. Um, I know people that have been in them. I've seen literal label competition for an artist that has not released a song yet, where they're just throwing money at this artist right. because they were so talented. Yeah. You know? And even then though, I'm sure there's other like cosigns from other artists or that are involved as well. I don't know personally, but I'll tell you this. There are a couple of artists now that are out famous and I did not know about them before they were signed. But apparently there was a a whole label debacle between several different labels going after right, but then, and then But what do you end up seeing then too is, I mean, like, like even look at like Lil Uzi and DJ Drama. I think there's a lot of the the deal that Lil Uzi got at the time versus where he is now. Now he's not as happy with the deal and arrangement that he has because now when they brought him up, they took this massive stake. And I mean, you could argue both sides here, but now he's, he's just a much bigger artist. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that having that initial deal and partnership in place helped catapult him to where he is. 
But now he's trying to find ways to to work around that because now it's just given the state of where he is with his artistry, with his fan base, the initial agreement that he had in place just doesn't feel as fair anymore. And like, you can argue Mm. that, but had you actually built up that audience and then gone to these conversations, then from the jump, you'd be able to have much more favorable terms. And I think that's where you see like, um, I mean, even like, we had Rory on a week or two ago and he was talking about Saba. Now they're entertaining these label conversations. I mean, Saba has a heavy touring fan base. He's got tons of streams, tons of playlist support. Like I guarantee you the offers he's getting now versus the offers he would have got had he just gone out with a great product early on with no fan base are, are much bigger today's. I agree. But I also think there are some labels that just won't go after him at all. So like, there are some labels that do look for artists that I don't want to say don't have that much leverage, but okay. So we'll, it's just a smaller scale, right? Mm-hmm. There are indie labels that where it's like, you know, we haven't heard anything yet, but we're willing to give you this great deal. Right. It might not be, it might not be three or $4 million, yeah. um, but it's a good deal for where you're at and it'll scale with you as you grow. Right. Saba on the other hand has already gotten past a lot of that. He's gotten past, you know, stage one of that which is scaling. He's already scaled pretty, pretty big. So Mm -hmm. he's starting from a place where labels have to come in and already take where, what he's done and make it even better. Some labels just don't have the manpower to do that. Um, Or if they do, they have to approach it in a very different way, Mm -hmm. you know? So I like agree with you. Obviously there's bargaining power in every negotiation, but sometimes there are labels that just don't want artists as big as Saba from the jump. Right. You know, like they don't look, they don't look for, and then, and then the leverage does come more from the product, you know? Yeah. And then, like, I, I think you're talking majority, like major labels. Well, what I'm even saying too, I mean, just as far as like, we can't generalize any of this advice, but I would say that it's like, yeah, sure. Those independent small labels might not be entertaining deals for bigger artists, but that's probably because they just can't help those bigger artists as much. So they can't give as big of an advance. They probably don't have as big of distribution partnerships. So if you are able to build that on your own and partner, I mean, do do things with labels along the way, sign off singles, sign off little projects. But I think to the extent that you can build your own audience, uh, that just ends up creating so much more leverage so that you can get a bigger advance. You can get more commitment from a distribution standpoint. You can get more resources when you do sign with the label. You can get more favorable terms on your contract as far as ownership, as far as royalties. So, I mean, I think the leverage, to the extent that you can create your own leverage, and you can. I mean, I think that's one of the most unique things about, like, the whole, like, digital transformation, if you will, in music Mm -hmm. is, is whereas, like, distribution... You used to like need a label just to, I mean, recording and tracking <laughs> costs alone, like were a major investment. Right. Things were physical. Yeah. And then beyond that, then there was the actual like physical distribution of CDs. I mean, and then you'd see people that, uh, I mean, even, I guess it's like a metaphor or an analogy today, but you'd see the people that like built up thriving brands, slanging mixtapes out their trunk. <laughs> Right. I mean, and and then those people, they already have a built in fan base. So by the time that they are going to have those label conversations, they're getting that much more clout. They're getting that much more of a favorable deal from their perspective. I think today it's that much easier to create the cost of creating music slower. The the ways in which you can build a fan base and distribute your music online are easier and much more accessible. So I think with all of that at your disposal, like, yeah, definitely focus on creating a great product. I'd say always have active conversations with labels. I think uh, like in, in anything, 
whenever you want to build something with somebody, if you're only coming to them at the time when you actually want to get something from them, then it's not nearly going to be as good of a relationship as if you'd been nurturing and developing this relationship because then people feel like they just have a vested interest in your, your progress. They just feel having seen you. I mean, it's the same way. It's like when the, the bond you have with an artist that you felt was going to be next up for a while and taking pride in being the first to hear it, like right. maintain, nurture those relationships, build your own audience, create your own leverage. And I think that the terms you'll get will be favorable. And maybe, maybe you do sign with the label, earlier on but even then if you come to the table with that leverage you're going to be in a better place yeah i mean also part of that is signing to a label that where you where you can scale with them yeah you know yeah yeah for sure so that's part of it too like eqt like eqt exactly (laughs) (laughs) that's what i'm saying so everybody email jordan your most recent (laughs) mixtape and your most recent song (laughs) jordan's like nah no, I mean, I do listen to music. People send me music all the time. I try to listen to as much as I can. Um, that being said, like, I'm not an A&R. So I like, I like a lot of music. I think that's my fault. I don't think it's that I don't like a lot of music. Right. I, li- I like a lot of music. Like, mm-hmm. it's, you know, sometimes it is hard for me to tell, you know, what's going to pop and what's not. Sometimes it's very obvious. Right. Like, obviously, some of the artists I work with, very obviously talented artists, yeah. you know. Um, well, really all of them. But I don't work with all of the rost- artists on our roster. But, um, you know, I listen to what I can. And then, you know, I send it to the ARs and they let me know if they, you know, what they see, what they don't see. And mm-hmm. um, but in situations like that, especially when you're finding management or finding a label, you you always want to find somebody who's into your stuff. I think I think people take it personally when I don't like their music or when I'm not super into it. And I, I don't even like saying I dislike someone's music. It just right. doesn't it just doesn't hit me in a way that I would need to commit some of my life to it. You know what I mean? Um. But nah, man, you just gotta you just gotta keep going at it. So yeah, totally. Okay, well, let's shift gears and talk about uh, what to focus on for early artists. I think um, you and I both have a fair amount of experience working with artists across the entire spectrum of very large established artists as well as like emerging, very small, uh, newly developing artists. So, what do you think are some of the, the keys to focus on when developing uh, for early artists? I used to say audience development. I used to say, find your audience. But I was skipping the key that Ramya pointed out last episode, which was find your your voice, find your sound, your product. Um, and I don't want to say product in the sense that it's always going to be transactional where you're giving somebody something and they're paying you. Obviously, that does happen in music. But more importantly, you have to really tap into your artistry, first and foremost, you know? Um, huge, huge thing to do. Then after that, I would say it's, I would say it's tied between audience development and performing, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to be able to go online, go wherever your fans are and really interact with them on a deeper level, but you got to know how to perform. Like, we've seen people, we've seen people get viral online and then they perform horribly and then they get, they, it seems like they're catching up. Blue to, face. Oh, I don't know about I blue saw face. Blue face at South <laughs> and I was like, this performance... <laughs> like and then you said and I saw the baby at the same show. This is a lyrical lemonade show. Uh, and the energy that he brought to the stage had the crowd so much more hype. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen either one of them, but Shots fired, blue face. What up? <laughs> <laughs> these these opinions do not represent the opinions of Jordan Williams or any of their affiliates. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, no, I haven't seen Blue Face perform. I haven't seen the baby perform, but I feel like the baby would be a good performance. Oh yeah, for sure, for I sure. Like, I did see some of your story, but um, yeah, you know, even if it's a showcase where no one is there, 
like, you know, one of my artists, he sent me a video of himself a year and a half ago performing in front of a crowd of not even a crowd. It was three people front front of three people. But if you look at the video of him performing back then and how he's performing now, they're very similar because he brought the same and he brings the same energy to every show. Mm hmm. Um, but he was only able to do that by going to these small rooms and really practicing. Right. So I would say it's tied at that point between audience development and really the product. Well, the product first, but tied between audience development and, and, and figuring out how to perform. Yeah. I think that's huge. When you, when, what does audience development mean to you? How do you uh, help your artists develop their audiences in the early stages? It's hard. It's really hard because the people the artists, they're only going to want to post so much. They're only going to want to express themselves so much, you know. So it's just trying to convince them like a like a human does to another human. Mm-hmm. Look, this is what we feel like would take your career to the next level if you start interacting with your fans in the comments or if you start posting more videos on YouTube um, and, and, realize, and having them realize that it just opens up them to more opportunities yeah. um, and just, you know, getting them to know early on that that's really important. These people are going to be listening to your music and people in 2019 want more than just a CD. Right. They want your story. And that can be obnoxious. I get that. I don't do that. I barely post on Instagram. I should more. I talk yeah. to you all all the time. I need to be more active on yeah. Twitter. Yeah, yeah. You know? So it's not an easy thing to do. But um, what do you think? So I think when it comes to product and finding your voice, I think that's interesting because I feel like it's very important to do so. But I think there's a couple different ways to approach doing that. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally think one of the best ways to do that is is repetitions. I, I think mm-hmm. like consistency over a long period of time is how you make progress, like grand progress across anything in your life. And I think with music too, it's like so many times people are so precious about their, their music and they have been spending two years trying to find their voice and have no songs online. I, I think you can find your voice in tandem with building your audience by consistently releasing music. I, I don't think that means like release garbage, but I do think that generally speaking, I feel like if more emerging artists were more consistently releasing music, not only would it accelerate the process of them finding their voice, but in doing so, they'd also be growing their audience. I actually think that's a really good idea, but I do think that the key in that is finding your sound and what works. Yeah. You know, like they can obviously happen simultaneously, right? Mm-hmm. That's like best case scenario. One thing that I completely missed that almost helps all of this at the same time is collaborations. Mm-hmm. Collaborations with artists, you're already doing something really important. You're cross promoting your fan base with theirs, whatever fan base you have. Mm-hmm. Um, you are finding your voice by having more people and more ways to collaborate and cross uh mix your styles mm-hmm. find your own style from other people's styles right you know um so collaborations and then a lot of the times you know when you're first starting to perform it comes from opening for your friends yeah. opening for people who are already in the scene opening for right. your collaborators so that low-key may be number one it's like finding your crew, so to speak, finding the people mm-hmm. that you perform with, you know? Right. I always think it's amazing when people like, um, or groups like Brock Hampton or Odd Future when they came up because they all clearly benefited from being around each other so much mm-hmm. to the point where they can all do such amazing things by themselves. They started off collaborating, you know? Yeah. Frank Ocean, amazing. Like Tyler, the creator, he, he made his entire album by himself, mm-hmm. you know? I think that all starts with 
this crossing, you know, ideas together, mixing ideas together. You right, know? right, for sure. No, and I think even like collaborating with other brands or other communities or yeah. just finding ways to where there's people or like-minded communities that have a similar sized audience or even like bigger audience than yours. I think any way you can like provide value to them, find ways to tap into their existing community, that's just such a great way to grow. So whether that's like an emerging fashion line, that's your friend's right. fashion line and you, right. you want to offer to shoot some photos in their products, right. then you post the photo of their product on your page. They like post you on their page, right? I think you should like constantly be trying to find ways to collaborate with other people that have access to communities that are likely filled with your your target audience, your fans, potential fans. I also think for artist managers and for people working in the music industry, I think that's also really important also. Um, it doesn't necessarily come in the form of collaboration, but I just met with somebody who actually, um, I'm pretty sure she listens to the podcast. She just wanted some advice. And she asked me what to do about an intern that she was competing with. And I was like, you should probably try to befriend this intern because the, both of you are going to be industry professionals soon. Mm -hmm. You know, she said she had something like 40, 40 interns at the company that she worked at because it's a major label. And I was like, get doggy, to know as many. Doggy, doggy yeah, I was there. like, get to know as many of those interns as possible. You know, the people that I've interned with now, we're all doing great things. Yeah. Um, the people at my very first internship, yeah. one of them, you know, one works at Spotify now. One works at Blackbird Presents. Yeah. Um, Ilman said this too, build with your peers. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. For the next couple of weight classes. And you can't get yeah. so competitive so early, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So it's the same thing with people trying to join an industry as professionals and, and artists. I think yeah. both of those things are really important. So the last thing to really dive into here is just like, content. I mean, I think every single brand, you really got to throw your hat in the ring on the content front. Like, mm -hmm. I think, yeah, there's the the rare cases of like the Frank Ocean or Playboy Cardi's that are like able to build these like massive brands and tons of hype without creating any content. Or, well, Frank Ocean had content. Frank Ocean came out on Tumblr. That was a huge now, piece of but, content. So now, but now he's like a very quiet person. Now he can withdraw because he right. already gave us everything. That's true. So that's a great point. So even we can remove him from yeah, these yeah. counter he gave examples. Us everything yeah, yeah, yeah. He so I think then like consistent content is how you build momentum, build community online. It gives your audience something to engage with. It gives you a mechanism to really share your story, your narrative. I think in the same way that sometimes people might be precious with their music, people oftentimes are very precious with their content. And nine out of 10 times, the stuff that performs best online is the stuff that's like raw, vulnerable. Like, I mean, even with Knox, like we have a full production team, videographers, good equipment, blah, blah, blah. The best performing clips nine times out of 10 are the stuff where it's just a really awesome moment captured of a performance or somebody saying something very vulnerable on camera or just a, a random interaction that was just a fun, charismatic interaction. Like we do create the videos where it's, it's super produced and very cinematic and we have like 15 different shots cut to the music and that stuff's good and there's a time and a place for everything. But I think like, don't be deterred by that. I think a lot of times it's that raw, organic, vulnerable stuff that's going to cut through the noise online. So I think you should really be striving to post almost daily across different platforms. I think it's, yeah, uh, it's super not easy valuable. either, you know, but that's not, that's not the point. It's not supposed to be easy. Right. So, yeah. Uh, but it sure is fun. It is fun. If you're down to express yourself in that way, it, I'm sure it's really fun. Find the fun in all this too. I think it's, yeah. um, learn to love the process. All right. 
things we're seeing that we love and respect. You want to talk about touring? No, bro. I want to talk in the, I want to talk about Old Town Road first because yeah. I keep talking about Old Town Road because it's now the most popular single statistically ever. Longest number running number one. That's wild. It's crazy. But the thing is, this, this man is 20 years old and he did most of the marketing himself. Yeah, the, the early stages. The early stages. Until, yeah. He mean he made it he made a Nicki Minaj fan page. He grew it to like a hundred thousand followers, which is hard in the first place to do. Yeah. Then he changed it to Lil Nas X. Then he starts pumping out memes about Old Town Road. I mean, I saw some of these memes before the song even came out. I saw them, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, then he takes it to the next level and goes to TikTok. Like I was just in a meeting with um, somebody who had recently met Lil Nas X, and and we both were like, man, he should just straight up run the marketing department at a label, like yeah. straight up. <laughs> like he won. <laughs> he like came in here and won. He's 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 gonna be in history forever, you know. Yeah. Um, so I super, you know, at first when I heard Old Town Road, I was like, man, what is what is this? I have so much respect for Lil Nas X now. Yeah. Like, and I like the song. Yeah. So you know, you told me earlier you 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 really liked the song at first. Now you, you know, you heard it too much. Makes your ears bleed. I'm the exact opposite. At first, I'd never listened to the song. I heard it on the radio, and I was like, "Oh, this is tight." But now I'm, I turn it on. I blast yeah. it. I bump yeah, yeah, yeah. it because I have respect for him too. Yeah, same. So. Tons, tons. I mean, I think the <laughs> like meme strategy. I mean, that's just influencer marketing too. I mean, you're essentially just finding, uh, or like what he was doing with like other TikTok influencers. Mm-hmm. It's just finding other people that have similar audiences. And reaching out so that they can help kind of create content. And I think for him, he incentivized people. He probably used like, I'll repost your meme if you create this. Then there's the cross-pollination. Uh, but I think even if you are if you reach out, you could find other people on TikTok, other people on Triller, on Instagram, send them your song, vloggers, find opportunities for them to place your music. I think uh, like a lot of these are things you can do on your own. They take some like finger grease. You got it type yeah. and reach out. But I think at the end of the day, those people are there. I think attention is largely shifted to influencers, to people that have their own communities. I think like traditional media doesn't necessarily have as much power as it used to because more yep. people are tuned in, tuned into their social media and the, the friends and other peers and influencers right. they follow. So I, I really love that. And then also, I just love what they've been doing in order to really stretch the song and keep it relevant. I think um, the song picked up tons of momentum. So the data was very clear that something's here that you need to keep pushing. But I think uh, like the song had been out for a while before it really started picking up steam. I think yeah. oftentimes people are just instantly on to the next one. I think there's some crazy stat. I can't remember the stat, but I think it's like the vast majority of music generated around royalties is actually in like catalog, like old music releases. Oh, wow. Interesting. I think the moral of the story there is like, don't, disregard or overlook the value of your old music, find ways to market that stuff. Like Thriller by Michael Jackson is like Epic Record and Sony's one of their like biggest songs ever to this yeah. day. Thriller's I'm pretty sure the top like, selling album ever. Yeah. And and I was yeah. speaking with somebody on the Epic team. Um and like that's still a priority. Like this Michael Jackson <laughs> record. Like they're still yeah. trying to find ways to market this. And it's right. I think it's uh for you guys, if you have a song, if you have old songs, like don't neglect those just because you have this shiny new song to focus on. I think uh, it pays a lot to to really double down and persist on these songs. So I think that's just marketing catalog in general. And then also just how Will Nas been able to keep Old Town Road relevant with all these different remixes. I think he's, he's gone and through he's like, gotten the right people on it. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like very clever. Uh, I mean, even the, the first time when he got Billy Ray Cyrus on because 
right when the song started charting, it was charted in country and they got and removed. And he tweeted out, somebody yeah. help me get Billy Cyrus on this yeah. record. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just bringing stuff to fruition, you know? Yeah, exactly. So love that. Incredible story. All right. Other stuff that we're seeing that we love and respect. Now we can get into touring if you want to get into touring. All right, touring. So I read on Music Business Worldwide that Live Nation raised their ticket prices and gained an extra $500 million in revenue over the past 18 months. Um, first of all, that's awesome. Good for Live Nation. But... Get all these money from these fans. <laughs> but it also, it also... I'm also wondering, you know, when the ceiling is going to... When we're going to hit the ceiling of ticket prices. Um, I don't think we're there yet. I think people, there's so much... Um, so much content in general that people want to see their artists perform in person. They follow them on Instagram. They're on, they're on their Twitters. They can even listen to their music for $10 a month, less than that because they're listening, obviously, to multiple catalogs. The next step of that is seeing them in person. Like At that point, you've committed so much time to this artist's brand. The next step is seeing that in person. So I don't think... I don't think... I think if anything... Um, digital social media in general has it helped increase those ticket prices because um, it's given people a way to connect with their artists when they're not at shows and when they're not listening to music, which makes these tickets more valuable. But I've always wondered because it's it's been going it's been going up for a really long time. Um, ticket prices have increased for I think a couple of decades at this point. So I'm wondering, you know, when people are going to be like, no, these tickets are too expensive. I know it's not for me. I know I will pay you know three hundred dollars for rafter tickets if it's the right art, artist you know what right. i mean like i'm still i am still paying more for tickets me personally i'm okay with paying more and more and more for tickets yeah um and then i'm wondering what opportunities open up when you don't when you don't raise your prices for your right. tickets you know just like for a while you know everybody paid ten dollars per cd mm-hmm. and then it was okay well we can get this music at a, in a much cheaper way we right. can take it from LimeWire. We can do this and that. And obviously you can't do that with shows because it's in person. But um, ticket pricing is such a unique thing. You know, I deal with it a lot just planning tours. I just talked about it yesterday for one of my artists. I'm just wondering like when and if we'll ever hit that ceiling, you know, mm-hmm. especially with VR coming in, you know, are right. people going to be okay with just putting on glasses in order to go to shows and not necessarily being there in person, you know? Um, it just raises a lot of questions. So... I saw that Live Nation made all this money from raising their ticket prices and it just made my mind, it just made my mind, you know, run off on a tangent. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's interesting. I mean, I think touring's so critical and essential. I think early on. How do you interact with shows? What do you mean? Like, how much would you pay for a ticket for the baby? Because I know you love the baby. <laughs> See, now, now that I got the podcast, I just get put on that list. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very rare that I buy tickets, but... Oh, damn, flex. <laughs> just flex. <laughs> yeah, I did buy a ticket recently. Uh, then it was, it was... I'm excited. Tori Moi and Channel Tress. Oh, wait. Yeah, when Channel is Tress. It's, it's sold out, player. Oh. I had to buy it on StubHub, but they added a second date. I don't know if Channel Tress is when coming. When is it? I think it's not even until November. I'm, oh, both man. of them are fire, though. Yeah. Well, I, maybe I maybe I get a ticket. I bought two tickets. I, I have one reserved for a special someone. Yeah, no, I don't have to be. Special, that, I don't have to be that special somebody. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't have to be me. That doesn't have to be me. Um, 
music business podcast meetup at the Tory Mart Channel Trace concert. <laughs> yeah, I just told everybody where you're going to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> There's two dates. Find me there. Fan photos accepted. <laughs> uh, yeah, touring, I don't know. I, I mean, the, it's interesting. For big shows, big concerts, I mean, it's crazy how much people pay for festival tickets. I think people do tiered ticket prices. Um, supply demand. I mean, I think Live Nation's an interesting vantage point, just given the amount of data that they get. I mean, they can really see like the price elasticity of like how willing people are actually to pay when they sell tickets. And I'm sure they're just running tons of like statistical calculations to yeah, try and man, maximize that price just to that optimal right. point before there's diminishing returns. So hopefully they don't, they don't keep raising it for the fans perspective. But I think at the end of the day, like the goal for any artist show is to always sell out. And right. I think, um, the higher price tickets are, the more, less likely it is to sell out. And I think it, it is just trying to strike that perfect balance of like making them, I mean, from a venue promoter artist perspective, like make the most money and sell well, the most tickets. One thing that J. Cole did very early on, um, well, not very early on, but pretty early on was that Dollar and a Dream tour he did where he just tweeted a place where he was going to perform. Yeah. And then fans had to pay a dollar to get in. Right. I think that created a lot of uh, brand loyalty to J. Cole. Mm -hmm. So he didn't need to, He, I mean, I'm sure he sells tickets for much higher now. I'm positive, actually. But I think moments like that, especially while tickets are rising, are very special, especially for artists like J. Cole, where they can, yeah. where it feels like you know Cole. You yeah. know what I mean? For so. sure. Awesome. Okay, so now let's uh, shift gears into our favorite resources for industry news. Uh, I think this is the last thing. Just want to close out on this. I've got a couple ones listed here, places where I turn for news. Most of them are newsletters, which is nice because then I just get these little digests in my inbox. So I have no kind of um, necessarily go as far out of my way. Yeah. But Music Business Worldwide has an incredible newsletter, musicbusinessworldwide.com. If you're trying to get a job in the music industry, they also have a Music Business Worldwide jobs newsletter. And every single week are sending out different uh, opportunities oh, in the industry. Great. I didn't realize. Yeah, for that's sure. Great. Um Sherry Hugh, one of our past podcast guests, has her water and music newsletter. I think that's an incredible uh, music newsletter that really speaks to the intersection of like technology and music and, and what shifts are happening from a technological perspective and different tech-related trends. And then lastly is the Trapital newsletter. And this is a very kind of um, a deep dive into the business of hip-hop and of the music industry. So always been about trap and always been about capital. <laughs> Trapital, perfect mix. Yeah, um, there's a couple on here that I also like. Hypebot. I check Hypebot. Um, I also like... Shout out Hypebot. Got yeah. a couple. No, but features I, music I was hype. I was hype. Because I, hype, hype Hypebot is on yeah. my... You know, I have a Feedly. So yeah. Feedly, I have a bunch of um, websites that I check music business Rest in peace, Google for. Reader. Yeah. A bunch of websites that I check for and it kind of goes all into this yeah. one RSS feed. Um, Hypebot's in there, so... Nice. Um, I also check Art of a Manager. Jakey yeah, Dell's newsletter. Jakey Dell's newsletter. So um, I really appreciate him for committing time to help people like myself, who in the beginning looked at those newsletters for support. You yeah. know, obviously I have people at my company that can help, but I just like to get all the information I can that helps me succeed at my job. And I think Jake Udell puts it in a very, in a very approachable way for people that are very new to the game and right. also experienced managers. Right. So um, Art of a Manager is super dope too. Awesome. 
Um, if there's any other resources you guys really respect, definitely let us know. We'd love to show them some love and check them out ourselves. And hopefully the Music Business Podcast has become it's a great resource list. for you as well. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that wraps it up for today's uh, episode. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed this. Please let us know what you thought about the format, if this is something you guys want us to do more of. If so, also send through some different things you'd like us to talk about. Uh, and we could definitely explore this segment a little bit more. You can find us by just reaching out on Instagram at Music Business Podcast. Uh, always paying attention to the DMs happening there. Other than that, reviews go a long way They in wherever you listen to the podcast. And then most importantly, if you're really enjoying this and getting value out of it, if you just want to forward on a favorite episode to a friend, um, word of mouth goes a really long way. So guys, thank you so much for your support. Jordan, thank you guys. Thank you for being you. Thank you, Sam. Shout out Bands in Town for letting us record in their studio again. Every every couple of episodes, I want to shout out Bands in Town. Oh, for sure. We love they Bands really, in they Town. Really, they really got our backs, man. Yeah, totally. And I'm almost, I'm almost honored because I, I use Bands in Town every day. Yeah. Every day. Definitely. So, shout out to the team, man. Shout out to the team. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week.